Hello and welcome back to Control Alt Delete. Very excited to bring you today's guest, someone that I have become slightly obsessed with recently after reading her book. I know that happens to the best of us. It's the amazing Bella Mackey, who's just written an incredible part memoir, part manifesto on running and how running has saved her life. I've loved reading Bella's writing for years and it was just such a joy to read her book. She's always been, I think, very honest about being divorced. Um, She's written about that for places like Vogue. She's written about mental health before and she's just generally very outspoken on Twitter, which I really enjoy as well. And in general, is just someone who is very inspiring and very honest. So she was the perfect podcast guest. So a bit more of a formal introduction. Bella is a freelance journalist from London. She's written for The Guardian, Vice, Vogue, among other brilliant publications. So definitely go and check out all of her writing. But in this podcast, we mainly talk about her brilliant book, Jog On, How Running Saved My Life, published by HarperCollins, the imprint William Collins. In the week I interviewed Bella, I went to the HarperCollins offices, she'd just found out that her book was a Sunday Times bestseller at number two, no less, just following Michelle Obama. So this book has really resonated with thousands of people already. And it's really inspired me to put on my trainers and go out there for a run. And it's a much bigger message than what I'm used to, which is people telling you to go for a run because it's good for you. You know, following fitness or wellness accounts um, can be quite overwhelming sometimes. And actually, this book stripped it all the way back and inspired me to go running for lots of other reasons and mainly related to mental health. At the heart of Jog On, Bella explains with unfiltered honesty how to battle crippling anxiety and depression, but also how to love running without having to sacrifice some of her main loves, booze, cigarettes and ice cream. So yes, it's definitely relatable and up my street. And she has written a book that's not only memoir in style, but also has so many brilliant bits of advice and quotes and interesting research from doctors, psychologists, sports people, friends. Um, It really is such a book full of warmth and motivating sound bites. So I recommend the book and I really hope you enjoy this episode with Bella. I really enjoyed chatting to her and um, this is why I love doing this podcast, getting to chat to interesting people about why they do what they do. So if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. I'd really appreciate it. It really helps get the podcast up in the charts and just helps other people discover it as well. So thanks again. And here it is. Hello, Bella. Hello. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. Oh my gosh, thank you. I'm so excited. I feel like I'm so lucky. You're so in demand right now. I am quite in demand. You're so hot right now. (laughs) Um, Literally, just been announced your books. Sunday Times bestseller, number two. It's been on the Amazon top 10 for what seems like years. (laughs) Three weeks. I want to obviously talk to you about Jog On for most of this interview, but um, I just wanted to start off by saying 
um, that you commissioned me for The Guardian about two years ago. Do you remember? Yes, I do remember. What was it about? Um, I remember commissioning oh, you. What it was, was it about, about? Me- millennials and growing up online, which yes. was sort of what my book was about. And yes. I remember being so excited to get that email from you. Oh, thank you. Because I remember emailing you thinking, like, Emma's quite a big name. I don't know if we'll ever be able to get her. And then I love it when people, when you're commissioning, the best thing in the world is when someone's like, yes, I'm really excited. I really want to do it. Because that does not always happen. Really? But no. you're emailing from The Guardian. I, I know mean. what you think. But quite often it's like, no, don't have time. No, need more money don't want any editing and you're just like oh it's quite scary like just cold cold emailing people and asking them to write stuff how funny maybe i should play a bit more cool then because i was literally like bouncing up and down no that's the best thing in the world that's what that's when editors want to use you again so it's like the best way to be love that so i've obviously been following your work for ages um since then but also before then when you wrote that piece for vogue about the difference between being single and alone did you always know that you were you were going to be writing and in journalism I mean I know it's in your family tree and your in your bones probably but did you do anything else beforehand I went to art school and I really wanted to be an artist I really didn't I didn't want to be in journalism lots of people in my family are and I thought you know it would be nepotistic and I wouldn't be as good as them so you know you sort of always cursed if you try and do what your parents do um, so I went to art school and then it turned out I wasn't very good at art um, I really liked it I had like a real enthusiasm for it but I wasn't very good at it and someone hired me to do three weeks, um, like sort of interning, but, you know, doing sort of grunt work when um, The Guardian had a new section called Common is Free starting. Um, and oh, someone, I love that. Yeah, is that still going? Still going. It's, it's called it's called Opinion now. It's so juicy. Or Comment. Maybe it's just called Comment. God, I'm not there anymore. And so I did three weeks, you know, packing up mugs and putting together diaries and stuff. And, and it sort of went from there. They kept sort of extending my contract and I was sort of 21 and a bit lost. So I didn't know what else to do. So I thought, oh, you know, I'll just do this for a bit and then I'll go back and, you know, do something creative, more creative in my mind. Um, and it never happened. And I think with journalism, you get suckered in and and then it becomes kind of part of your identity. And I guess I was I was fighting against that for a really long time. But but here I am. Mm, and your pieces resonate with so many people. I mean, I think I heard on another interview that Harper Collins commissioned the book. Was it a one piece or was it a few different ones? It was one piece actually. Um, I wrote a piece about how when I was feeling sad, the only thing that really helped was exercise, and I just wrote it and then forgot about it, and then got an email from someone at Harper Collins about it was only it was about six months later. He emailed and said, "I've read your piece, and you know I think it might might be a book." And I just went, "Oh." gosh you know okay and so it went from there so yeah I mean you never realize when you're writing something because I wasn't primarily a writer I was an editor um and you know editing's amazing and brilliant fun but when you write something you don't realize how amazingly you know it can resonate with so many people until until you start getting feedback from people and and that is an amazingly sort of special thing I mean you must get that with the podcast and books that you know that people get in touch and and you realize kind of what what difference an episode's made or a book or yeah and I feel like people when they say when they say they feel like they know you I'm like well maybe you do a bit actually because this is how I am this is how I speak and I feel like in your writing um obviously no one knows you like your friends do but even just reading one article it's like wow you've really let me in and you're being really honest and I think that's why I loved your book so much is because it's almost like a longer version of that and I just I wanted to know whether you were allowed that freedom to be yourself in this book you weren't edited too much no I wasn't actually and I I, I'd never been edited really before I was always the editor um and I sort of sent it off thinking 
okay, the edits are going to be really heavy and they're going to really move things around and sort of chop things out. And I was sort of bracing myself a bit for, you know, this is not the direction of the book. And um, actually they were, they were really light edits and there were really nice suggestions and sort of bits that, you know, maybe I sort of missed out or forgotten to mention. Um, but it was all more like pointers and directions. So actually, yeah, there wasn't any kind of, are you sure you want to put this in or, you know, this doesn't work it was actually a really mild process um and the, the worst thing about it was just my grammar that you know that was the really scary bit when the subs kind of went in and I was like oh god I'm so <laughs> stupid um but yeah it was actually it was remarkably kind of say what you want really that's so good I was just looking at the cover I know that I've got my proof which I get really attached to because it's all like dog-eared Proofs and red yeah. I've like read it in the bath but it doesn't say memoir on the front, does it? But it is a memoir. Yeah, it, I guess it is a memoir. But I remember in the first meeting I had about it, the the publisher said, it's not a memoir because you're not that interesting. And he meant by that, you know, you're 30 or 31, however old I was at the time. You know, you haven't done that much in your life that is kind of noteworthy. You're not ran off fines. Um, and I thought that was really good advice because I thought actually... I don't want to write a kind of misery memoir or like, you know, and then the next day I did this and, you know, chronolo- you know give you a, chron- a chronology of, you know, the past five years because he was right. It's not that interesting. So it's kind of part memoir and then lots of other people's stories and, you know, information about mental health and sort of studies and a sort of overall look at exercise. So I tried to sort of veer off yeah. into different directions. Yeah, I love the honesty in it. And I wondered, was that, hard to write to get into that headspace yeah I think I've always been a massive oversharer the way I try and make people be my friend you know is to kind of tell them everything I can think of about me and you know sometimes that works and sometimes they back away from me kind of literally um and me and my sister have always been like that and I I think you know we get it from the, the Scottish side of our family they're all very like outgoing and gregarious and so I've always been like let me tell you everything I'm you know there's no secrets here um and so I think that was probably just natural to, you know, how I wrote the book was just to kind of think, I want to tell you everything because if I don't tell you like the properly bad bits, then, you know, this is just another kind of anodyne book about, you know, maybe you, you feel a little bit anxious. And, and I think as I get older, I think with mental health, we have to be kind of brutally honest about kind of the weirdest, scariest bits, because otherwise no one else ever ends up feeling like, oh God, I'm not alone, you know. Whereas if you say this is the worst thing in the world, someone feels better. They just do. No one feels worse from that. Yeah, and I think that's why the book's so powerful is because there's there's lots of moments in the book where that fragility of human life comes across, you know, like your things are fine and then someone dies Mm. or you're fine again, but then actually your relationship breaks up or there's all the, there's like these peaks and troughs mm. and I feel like you're not alone in that but a lot of people try and hide those bits I think whereas you're just like here it is and and actually the one constant was running yeah and I think you know I think I try and hide those bits you know like I mean like the last two weeks since the book three weeks since the book came out have been quite hard like I've felt quite anxious and it's felt quite overwhelming and yet you know I've been sort of doing publicity and sort of smiling through it and you know so even I'm guilty of sort of doing what we all do which is kind of get get through it and try and sort of put a smile on it um and and yeah so in the book I tried to sort of be like this is how it is behind those things because I think that's just our that's like our it's like our instinct to do that isn't it well none of us are very good at kind of just going oh yeah it's really hard Mm. um but yeah you know life is really fragile and and those things will just confront you and it has a bit this past past couple of weeks you know just suddenly feeling like oh god you know I'm sliding backwards. Um, but yeah, I will still run because I sort of know now that 
that's the one thing that can kind of stay with me even even if I feel that everything around me is kind of slipping slipping from my grasp yeah it's so interesting that bodily reaction as well because I remember at university I went through a breakup and um I don't want to compare it because it was like he wasn't even my boyfriend really and I remember just um waking up and getting my running shoes and I almost my body went and I didn't even think and I was on I went to Southampton University and I was just like on the common running I was like what is that about that's really interesting because that's how loads of people describe their first runs it's like it's sort of like an out-of-body thing like your body just takes over and propels you out the door and I think I think two things I think firstly you know I think with with a run like that you're trying to get away from something you know you are literally running away but I think with running the best thing about running is that you you run away in order that you can kind of come back in a way you know you run you get out of your house you get away from everyone you you sort of cut through your misery and it enables you to to join your life up again you know you sort of think I'll take an hour out come back um so I think that's really important and I mean the other thing is that I think when we're sad especially after things like breakups we do cast around for something new don't we something sort of something some sometimes something punishing you know that might hurt your body or you know in a good way not in a not in a negative way but you know like oh I really want to you know change something get a haircut or you know go for a run or whatever it is so I think I think after a breakup it's really understandable that people sort of suddenly find themselves gravitating towards putting on some trainers yeah do you think that's why the reaction's been so great is I mean I, I said this to you before we start started recording but um I've been running again and it's because of your book and I I think it's just resonated because you're not trying to be this perfect guru I would actually really like to be a perfect guru but it's just not going to happen <laughs> um it makes me so happy when people say that they've started running because of the book that's just I, I'm so unimaginative I didn't even think that that would be a side effect of the book or like any kind of result I thought it might make some people feel less alone anxious wise but people now tell me like you did that you run and that's the best thing in the world and yeah I think it's because like you know we discussed before we started recording that that lots of exercise is presented in quite a kind of elitist way and in quite a kind of competitive way and you know we see lots of images online about exercise on Instagram and and um and it just seems kind of scary I think especially to people who you know might never have exercised in their lives or given it up for a long time or not found the one they really love and I think mm. when you see that stuff it can just think you just think what well, I would think there's no point in starting because I'm never going to I'm never going to be that so what's the point and I think yeah. with running the reason that I think running is so brilliant is that if you're lucky enough to be able-bodied anyone can do it and all you need is old trainers to start mm. with and so it doesn't need to feel intimidating you know you don't have to give anything up to run and you don't have to you don't have to run marathons you can just kind of go for a jog which is why it's called jog on and not run on you know yeah although that wouldn't have been so as catchy jog yeah on. i love it i know they were like if it comes out in america we cannot call it jog on no one in the sales <laughs> department knows what on earth that means and i was like oh right that is very british jog find, on what is jog on i find it so funny when they like strip out all the british stuff from books but then the americans watch down to nabby you're right it's so weird but but you're right right. they probably will change it but um i wanted to ask you about your relationship with social media because i feel like exercise is like fetishized a bit online and i don't know if i want to instagram my runs like my runs are private and that's a personal choice but do you think it's like how do you do you like to share or do you like to hold that back or how how do you use social media these days especially now you're getting in you know lots and lots of messages I find social media really 
challenging and my opinions change about it all the time like I deleted Facebook you know a year or two ago so I don't have that I've always used Twitter as a journalist kind of partly to have fun and sort of you know be snarky um partly. I love your Twitter snark I'm very snarky on Twitter and 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 that's probably like the distilled me really is like me being sort of a bit snarky and it's great because I'm freelance now so I don't have to abide by kind of you know any yeah. any sort of company protocols of don't slag anyone off so I sort of sometimes I panic and I think oh my god if I slag that person off oh my god <laughs> but Twitter for me is really fun in that way so I really like Twitter um inst- like weirdly I was stalked a couple of years ago no. by someone who found me on Facebook randomly and who ended up going to jail for a year so for a long time that made me really creeped out by social media um and so I had a very private Instagram account and I sort of really locked down any mention of kind of my personal life or surroundings because, you know, really, I suddenly realized how unaware we are of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So so I, I went through a phase of that. And now I have an Instagram, which sort of I started when the book came out and and is, has kind of got quite a few followers now. And, and so I'm, I'm relaxing a little bit about that. And I sort of, you know, I try not to show like my best self all the time. Um, I don't want to shill anything. Um, and I don't want to make anyone feel worse about themselves. Um, so I'm, I'm still getting used to that, I guess, is the answer of like, you know, I'm still not 100% sure what the right tone is. I don't want to curate it too much, but I've sort of, I feel like, you know, I've got some sort of responsibility not to exploit people with it. Because mm-hmm. I see Instagram, you know, I was saying this to someone yesterday that, that you know, on Instagram, I'll look at kind of, I look at, I tend to look at old vintage dresses um, like from the Victorian era, very niche. Um, you know, interiors I like, um, and pe- what people are like reading. And yet, I still on my front page of Instagram. I don't know if you do as well. Just get women with six packs in thongs on beaches. Do you get that as well? Yeah. And it's or not, on the Discover. Bit. Yeah, on the Discover yeah. page. And I thought that that was kind of tailored to, you know, what you like. And I still get images of women like bless them. Nothing. It's not their fault, but like they make me feel bad. And. And I don't know how you escape that, really. Like, mm. I don't know how you escape social media making you feel bad. Oh, I know what you mean, because I it, that happens, and I'm like, this is this algorithm's wrong, because mm. I don't I don't really want to look at this yeah. stuff, and I've actually tried to hide it. Yeah, so you can click kind of see less of this. Yeah. So I click kind of a lot of that, and I still get it. And I think is that because it's most of Instagram now, or or because it's telling us that we should be going to the gym more? I don't. I know it's sort of at odds as well with I think what people really want because I was hooked on your Instagram um, (laughs) Q&A you were in a pub just just on your own absolutely like fine answering these really interesting questions and I was like I want to sit I actually made a cup of tea and watched the whole thing I was like I'd much rather watch that yeah and people actually said that afterwards I've never done that I loved it please do more I didn't even know you could do that and I, I saw someone else doing it and I thought okay, well, I'm in the pub and I'm on my own. Like maybe a few people might have some running questions. And then I got something like a thousand questions and was like, oh God. And then just kind of- Oh no, they on. kept on coming. Well, and I, I kept like, on answering. People are really engaged with this. You know, I realized after a while that like most people that do that do like 10 questions and I just carry it. And they were like, wow, you've really not, you're not stopping here. <laughs> I was like, oh, I think I'm breaking some kind of protocol and now I look like a loser. But it was really fun. And like, you know, I think if you're going to use social media like that, you sort of do have to be as honest as possible. And that doesn't mean you have to give everything about yourself away. You know, you can choose how much you want to give. But but that curated thing of, you know, you look at someone's picture and you think you took that picture 65 times or, you know, mm. well, you see people in the street doing it, you know, people taking photos 15 times. 
I don't really want any part of that. And I can see how I could get sucked into it. I'm not saying I'm better than it because I could see how, how easy it must be yeah. to get seduced by that. But I'm really, I'm really going to try not to do that because I think, like more than anything, it's probably unhealthy for the person doing it rather than... Yeah. I mean, because it, it really reminded me actually watching your um, the q and I was thinking that's the, the closest like the most honest thing actually because literally you're in the pub with you chatting. Yeah, felt like that yeah. honestly. Like I was sort of just sitting there having a glass of wine chatting away. I wasn't sort of, it didn't feel, I don't know, I guess that's a very modern thing. I'm trying to think 20 years ago what I'd have thought if I'd told myself that you're going to be talking to strangers on your yeah. phone in a pub. But but yeah, it felt really natural. Yeah. But again, like, you know, you've done it once and it, and it feels really fun and, and then you don't want to ruin that by sort of, doing it more self-consciously again you know yeah, so it's kind of when it feels right yeah and I don't I mean I find social media terrifying and weird I mean I can't imagine what a 15 year old feels who's just yeah. known it forever just god same I mean speaking of social media because you you were in the news a while ago when you got married again yes and it's funny I bet it's funny for a lot of people who kind of know you and your husband kind of separately for your separate things and you're like wow that's amazing. And then I notice people on Instagram are quite like bantery, like as a couple, you guys. And it, I wondered how you feel about that. Like, do you mind that? Yeah, it's weird because for a long time, I didn't tell anyone that we were dating. I mean, obviously, I told friends and stuff, but I wasn't sort of on Instagram being like, here's my boyfriend, you know. Um, and he didn't do it either. You know, I was never on his page or anything. And and then we sort of got engaged and people and he sort of announced <laughs> he announced it. Um, and then we got married and sort of, and then it was a bit kind of cats out the bag, not in a kind of, we were trying to keep it a secret. We're not that interesting, but, but now people know that I am married to him and, and, and people know that he's married to me. We do get more kind of added together. Um, and it's nice, you know, people are nice. No one's ever sort of mean. I guess sometimes we might have different, different people that like us for different reasons. And then there is an overlap. Um, but I'm not a celebrity. So like... I'm a journalist or you know and so it is a bit weird like I do find it a bit strange um like we got we got like photographed on the red carpet once and that was just really like I should not be here this is wrong like it I do you think because you're a journalist as well there's always going to be that like I know what you're doing like if someone's trying to like get your picture it's it's almost like you're you're in the world like you know what this is all about yeah, and I think I have this like huge degree of cynicism about it and kind of like, oh, you know, celebrity, what does this mean? You know, this is terrible. Um, and sort of get a bit pompous about it. And like, you know, but then again, like he's not out every night at like a big event or sort of like putting his name to a bunch of stuff. So he's really low profile. So it's it's kind of fine. I guess, you know, if he was on like Made in Chelsea or something, it would be much weirder. But I guess he has a broadcasting job and he sees it as a job. So I guess that makes it easier. But yeah, being a journalist is definitely it's definitely a weird thing to also, you know, be married to someone who's sort of a bit more public. Mm. Journalists aren't aren't really, you know, normally we're all like a bit scruffy and, and in the pub, you yeah. know, not really like sort of people that people sort of say they really fancy or whatever. Not really like that. So, yeah. It's funny. I feel like sometimes it's two extremes with um, I'm either on my own in a crusty hoodie at home, like looking disgusting. And I will go to the shop looking like that, as in no one cares like at all or I'm doing a talk to an audience and it's like they're two extremes aren't they and it's almost like you've got to switch something in your brain Emma looks really nice today she's wearing a really great dress 
I, w- I went on um, BBC Breakfast this morning. Well, you look great. I had my makeup done. I was going to say, you look really glam. Um, but you're totally right, especially if you're kind of freelancing. I, I basically look like the biggest scruff ball sort of will get ID'd for wine during the day in like the oldest hoodie I have and like my husband's <laughs> tracksuit bottoms. And my sister says that I have the, the best capacity she's ever seen of someone to look only terrible and really nice <laughs> and that I cannot that have an is, in-between phase. I really relate to yeah. that. I feel like either... I think that's a yes. skill though, you know, yeah, just totally. like you either look the worst you've ever looked or you sort of kind of go ultra glam like you say if you're giving a talk or something. Yeah. But I quite like that. I'm not able to do the middle the middle bit. Yeah, because I'm, I'm quite enjoying your outfits of late, I'm going to admit. But again, like those are like the ones where I'm at, like I end up going out, you know. And although someone called me vapid and said, you know, why are you posting pictures of your outfits? And I sort of thought, oh God, and she said, don't be, don't be one of those Instagram outfit people. And I thought, oh God, yeah, okay, that's fair enough. You know, I don't want to be sort of like tap for details. But also I was thinking, you know, oh, I'd felt How quite... can you have a brain and like clothes? I know. And also I'd been feeling really shit that week. And I remember just thinking like, okay, I've got to get dressed up tonight and I've got to go out. And, and I sort of thought, okay, I feel quite nice now. And, and so it was, it was sort of a mental health thing. You know, it yeah. was sort of a, I feel better. I've got up, I've put on some makeup and... And obviously she couldn't have known that, so it wasn't mm-hmm. like her fault or anything. But I remember just thinking, oh, you know, I can't get it right. It's quite hard. That's the yeah. social media thing, you know. But that is that is so um, true that on the days when I feel the worst, I like put on a red lipstick, yeah. and it's and it's just an armor, isn't it? It's it's I'm gonna try today. Completely, it's like a I need something else to cover this up. You know, I need to kind of front it out a bit, and and that makes things feel better. I always get my nails painted, kind of ridiculous colors because that way if I look down I'm a bit sort of cheered and that sounds silly and they are small things but but sometimes you know that's all your brain has the capacity to do when you're feeling like shit you know is yeah. is sort of paint your nails or you know slap on some kind of red lipstick mm. I, I mean I learned so much in your book about mental health and tips on not tips so it's not as easy as that I suppose but just ways of making yourself feel better and I love the research in the book like you quote Eleanor Morgan and I love that you um, mentioned that Haruki Murakami book um, which I really want to read there was loads of things in the book I almost felt like you were recommending things and I could then go and look them up as well but d- with the book kind of being really out there right now do you find have you always had good boundaries with mental health because that's something that I um, have only recently learned like n- I, I don't have to be accessible all the time to mm. everyone yeah I think I think because I hid it for such a long time, and not in a kind of deliberate way, but just didn't know how to approach it with people and and didn't know the right words for it and, and, and things like that, that I probably, I probably got used to just dealing with it on my own. And I think I was really happy to talk about it all in the book and, and try and, I mean, I learned loads just by researching stuff. You know, it was brilliant reading other people's books about mental health and, and sort of their journeys as well. Um, and since it's come out, lots of people have contacted me to tell me their stories. Um, and sort of their stories are, you know, in many ways much harder than mine. And, you know, it's not top trumps, but some of them that you read and you just think, wow, you're like you're astonishing that you've sort of been able to tackle this. Um, and so I think because people have trusted me with their stories, I really tried to reply to everyone. And I think I've probably got to rebalance that a bit boundary-wise because... I think I'm absorbing lots of other people's sadnesses mm. and I'm not complaining about it because it's kind of an amazing honour that they're telling me about it. But 
I'm not a professional, so I haven't had that training in kind of how to walk away from someone else's problems once once I've been sort of talking about them. Um, so quite a lot of them have stayed with me and really sort of sunk into me and, and, and they're not my friends. I can't help them properly. So I think I sort of need to get a better boundary around kind of trying to help other people, but also recognizing that I am not a professional and, and, you know, can't actually give them advice because that would not be good for them or for me. Mm. So that's a new one. That's quite an interesting one for me to kind of be wading through at the moment. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that actually, um, when I interviewed Matt Haig, he said that. Oh, really? Yeah, I can imagine he gets yeah. that kind of all the time as well. He said that um, when he wrote Reasons to Stay Alive, the emails he got, it, it almost re-triggered him. And it was just like, okay, I've, I've got to protect myself. But I totally understand why they do. Because, you know, if you say you read Matt Haig and you know, it's the first time that anyone's written about kind of suicidal thoughts and, and depression, you know, the relief that you would feel from that would be so immense that I can totally understand why you'd reach out and say, you know, oh my God, this has helped me so much, you know, because partly you're saying thank you and partly you're just sort of trying to relate to someone. And I think I've had a lot of that with anxiety and people suddenly realizing that perhaps they've suffered from OCD or or anxiety. And and so I, I totally understand why they would do it. And I, and I, I love the fact that they feel like they can trust me. Um, it makes me sad that that I might be the first person they've told because mm. I think, oh God, you know, you must have people that love you and, and it, it scares me that, that you've not told them or or a professional. Um, and yeah, so I, so I understand why, why, why people do it. But I think someone said to me, you know, the exchange is the book, you know, you, you, you wrote the book, you've exposed yourself like this and then and if someone reads it, that's kind of the exchange. And you don't necessarily have to engage after the fact. But but also, everyone's been lovely. You know, I haven't had a message saying, you silly idiot, you know, this book is terrible and, and not help me, you know. So I sort of, I sort of want to practice what I preach and sort of say, let's continue this conversation in some way. I just haven't figured out how that is yet. Yes. Sorry, I'm rambling. Yes, no, but that makes total sense. Also... Uh, people listening need to check out I can't remember where you wrote it now but you did an amazing article on how to help a friend oh yeah I wrote that for um refinery Re- 29 refinery? Yeah. yeah because I think that I was really bad a bad friend maybe because I'm a fixer like I like to be like right let's have a plan of action and reading your piece and also reading other things um, I've actually re- realised over the last few years that it's just about listening, isn't it? It is, but I don't think you should beat yourself up too much because actually at my lowest points, the most relief I've had is someone, like the person in my life saying, okay, well, I've made an appointment for you to go to the doctor and and then we're going to go and do this. And sometimes, of course, maybe that's a bit overwhelming, but my dad was always that person. He didn't understand kind of mental health stuff particularly, does more now, but... You know, back then he it was it was a bit of a mystery, but he would just say, "I've done my research." You know, I've called my brother; he's a psychiatrist. He's recommended this person. You're going to see them on Tuesday. And in a way, if you are a doer like that, you know, that's not a bad thing, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like being a doer is better than being someone that says "buck up." You know, yeah. If you're saying, "I recognise you have a problem. I recognise the seriousness of this, and we're going to get you help," I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, it was a really great piece, though, because oh, I think you've you. balanced it out really well. Of you know, just this is the right 
thing to do uh, yeah and things not to say i think it's really Mm. helpful yeah not to say yeah cheer up love (laughs) yeah cheer up love is the worst or cheer up or don't be sad or why are you sad yeah because it's not there's sometimes not a reason is there but but look how good things are for you you know no Mm. that's not it doesn't work like that don't you think i know that you know yeah someone said that actually in a QA and a yesterday with me um she said how do you help a, a friend you know what do you do how do you bring it up and i sort of just said if you're if you're asking me, then you already know that that person has a problem, and you know that you have to do something. And it's it's always better to have an awkward conversation, even if you're a bit ham-fisted about it, than to not mention it at all. Mm-hmm. Which you know might be leaving that person in a sort of dire strait. So yeah. even if you approach it badly, you know that piece was not trying to warn anyone from doing it. You'll do it. It doesn't matter how well you do it, but you sort of have to make that call in a way. You know, you yes. sort of have to show up. Totally. And and this link, like you're saying with mental health, um, you know, there is no link between what pers- what a person's life looks like on paper. Like, for example, people might look at you and think, but your, your life is so amazing. Mm. Why would you ever struggle? Same with like when Prince Harry came out and said, mm. um, also Kate Middleton's brother. That recently, was amazing, actually. Amazing article. Yeah. And, it's all, and also, you know, the news around recently about like people like Kate Spade and like all these really sad stories and it's like fame money power success doesn't equate you know being free from mental health problems not at all I mean obviously there are socioeconomic groups that you know are more likely to deal with kind of mental health problems and and that's you know to do with poverty and you know the kind of the hits that you take in life you know from an early age like racism or sexism you know there are things like that which will make it more likely but yeah of course like we have to we still have to get to a point where people don't don't think oh you know they look like they're fine on the outside they've got everything they want you know because trust me those people know that you know I know that you know it seems ridiculous on paper that I should ever have had kind of any kind of struggles and yet you know I sort of had these symptoms and these thoughts and these worries since I was kind of a very small child and and I think it's ridiculous that I have them but in a way there's no point in in sort of berating myself or wondering why because I know lots of people do and you know that's analysis is trying to figure out why but I'm sort of past that really and I'm just like okay that's that's what I've got and yeah we could all sound to be a bit more empathetic about kind of Nigella Lawson I'm always saying this to everyone constantly all the time tweeted on mental health day saying you know it was it was more eloquent than this but she basically said you know be kind to to every stranger because you never know how hard it is for anyone to get through the day and Mm. and that's because we're all very good at putting on that that brave face and actually you know we yeah we could all we could all take a leaf out of Nigella's book in more ways than one oh yes (laughs) in every way like cookbook pages skincare (laughs) kindness yeah everything everything I I really want to look like her when I'm her age I want to look like her now actually have you seen her close up oh no I haven't is she she's so beautiful it's like absurd how beautiful she is like you know there's people that you see in a crowd and you're like you're a movie star like you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen she's got that just incredible presence should we just talk about Nigella for the rest of the (laughs) yeah now when I'm just like in this zone um but yeah no that that's really I think so true about not allowing the guilt and the shame to make us spiral further Mm. um so just lastly I could talk to you for hours um not that 2019 is this like new year new you thing we're not for that I'm sure but what are you excited about this year what what do you think what is 2019 for you have is is it anything for you that's a really good question um I'm always really surprised when the new year hits I know that sounds absolutely ridiculous but you know 
how people joke, it takes you six months to, to remember that it's 2019. <laughs> yeah. Someone said the words 2020 to me the other day and I literally went, oh, you can't set it then. It was about a TV thing. And I said, oh, you can't set it then because that's ridiculous, like too far in the future. Like as if I thought there were going to be hoverboards. Like Yeah, like robots are yeah, coming. Yeah, ridiculous. Um, so I don't ever make New Year's resolutions and I don't do anything like dry January or, you know, because I don't believe in wellness and <laughs> and I sort of don't want to, you know, let myself down in any way. Roxanne Gay said this year she wasn't making any resolutions. I thought that was quite good. But I hope that I can write more because it's something new and exciting for me that, you know, I've done bits and pieces of in the past, but I sort of set my heart on maybe doing a bit, bit more full time now. Um, and I hope that in some way off the back of the book that I can do something around anxiety and exercise if I kind of you know like I said you the idea that you've run because the book is the best feeling in the world and if I can sort of if I can get more people running this year I feel like that would be an amazing 2019 mm. for me personally be so amazing yeah if like do you know you what know. I would love but this is only also because I was saying to Bella how amazing her voice is can you make some running content so I can listen to you while I'm running. So someone said this to me the other day, they were like, do a podcast, do something. And I was like, I think all the good podcasts are done. Like, no, I'm scared no. that they're all done. I'm scared they're done. Yours is there. There's so many good ones. Like, I'm, you know, I'm just. It's so, just, it's just the link between podcasts and running is so strong. It, it is. I mean, all I do is listen to podcasts when I'm running. I listen I to yours. I save good ones. Do you save yeah. good oh, ones? Yeah, so yeah. that you know this yeah. is for the run. If it comes out on Wednesday, I'm like, oh no, but that will be amazing for a run. And some podcasts are really good for running and some are not. Yours is great because they're interviews. And I think interviews work really well for running. Um, not so much the kind of, you know, this woman died in 1976 and we're gonna we're gonna do 25 episodes about her murder and never tell you who did it i think those are less good but podcasts yeah amazing for running you must have yeah. loads of people that say they listen to you when they're running yeah and i listen to interviews when i'm running yeah I and i feel like I, I soak it in more yeah and i actually really listen yeah me too um, it's a really good sort of headspace for doing it when your yeah. brain is a bit emptier and you're sort of just on the road listening to people's voices it's like they're it's basically like they're entertaining you while you run it's yeah, great yeah this is making me want to go for a run and i can't believe i'm even saying that this is this great is, this, this is, is my favorite thing this is the best thing i can hear all day is that someone wants to go for a run yeah. i'm going to go for a run and don't necessarily want to <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the other thing and i love that you're honest about that oh, it's not yeah. like you're jumping out of the house every day oh god no well like you say no, I should have gone this morning and I procrastinated to the point where I came to talk to you and now I have to go for a run at, you know, four o'clock. <laughs> Useless. Oh, well, thank you so, so much because so much I know this is like me. a crazy whirlwind time for you. So no, but I really appreciate chatting it. Chatting about running is always fun for me, so don't worry. Thank so you so fun. much for thank having me. Thank you for writing your book. Thank you.